Uh, today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. We're looking at the third commandment, don't take my name in vain. So go ahead and open your Bibles uh, as you're opening your Bibles. If you're here with us for the first time, um, we are in a series, uh, not just looking at the third commandment singularly, but we're looking at uh, the commandments as, as an entity, uh, God's moral law. What God is doing in the Ten Commandments is, firstly, he's introducing himself. He's covenanting with us. And uh, really, we should see the, the Ten Commandments, not just rules, definitely not arbitrary rules and demands that God is putting on us. Rather, he's explaining what the covenant looks like. Uh, all of us are in relationships that put demands on us from work to our, our friends or uh, definitely even our, our close, intimate family, friends, and our marriages. There's no relationship that you are in that doesn't have uh, demands with it. And so when God is presenting himself in these Ten Commandments, he's not just giving us arbitrary rules or really even demands. He is, uh, he's revealing who he is. He's revealing his character. And more than anything, God is inviting us into a relationship with himself. I think this is true. If you if you simply read the commands, but don't take into consideration the relationship that God is inviting us into, then those commands will absolutely crush you. You you, at some point, you won't be able to bear the weight of all the things that God is telling you to do. And I think really that is the intent of of all the law, not just the, the Ten Commandments. We are intended to look at the the commands, the demands that God puts on us and and cry uncle, realizing that we can't even do the things God tells us to do without his help. God gave us the law to show us that we can't keep the law. But the, the light of that law really is that God is pointing us to the one who's kept it perfectly. He's pointing us to Jesus. In other words, we need someone to help us. We need a savior. And when we gain Jesus as our Savior. We also gain the Holy Spirit that helps us uh, really have the power to live out these, these laws and obey God rightly. Um, there is a command to the Ten Commandments. There's a, a structure to the, the Ten Commandments. They're not just arbitrary in how God lays them out. And first, as you look at them, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, the first four commandments deal with our relationship to God. In other words, there's a vertical orientation of the first four commands. We're on the third command today, so we'll have one more to do next week, looking at the Sabbath uh, on next week. But the last, uh, the last four deal with horizontal relationships, our relationships with each other. Uh, what God is doing in particular uh, in these first three commands is he's helping us get our theology right. All right, so today we're going to get our theology right in regards to God and his name. Uh, Let's read one verse together. Verse seven. Let's read this out loud together. I got to find it in my Bible. Here it is. Uh, You shall read with me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gathering of your church. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would give us eyes to hear, ears, uh, eyes to see, ears to hear all that you would have for us today. Lord, sometimes we read these, uh, these commands. That, that is what you're doing. You're commanding us, which means you're telling us this is what we are to do in regards to our relationship with you. 
and we hear them and they, they frighten us. They, uh, they make us realize that there's no way we can fully satisfy all that you're, that you're telling us to do. That's the reality of your law. So, Lord, I pray that you would um, uh, lend light to your law, that you would help us uh, not only understand what you're commanding us to do, but help us help us see that you've given us the help that we need to be able to fulfill it. And you've done that in Jesus. And I pray that in his name. Amen. Amen. So the first thing I think that we need to ask from our text is, is what's in what's in a name um, in our culture in America? I, I think. It's, it's half and half. Some people take names seriously. Uh, uh, other people, I mean, it just okay. It's just it's just my name. Um, I grew up uh, as as Jeff. My mother called me Jeffrey. She called me Jeffrey Keith when I got in trouble. Okay, y'all, y'all know about that. Uh, I was Jeff and Jeffrey up until I went into the army. At West Point, I, Jeff no longer existed, and I became Tumor. And then at some point. That was even too long. And so they, they sort of shortened my last name and I got a nickname of, of Tombs. And then later on in the army, I became uh, just a last name, Tumor. And at some point when I got enough seniority, I became, I became my call sign, Gunslinger 6, right? And so it's interesting how um, some of us, names are important. And then for some of us, we, we go throughout our entire lives not even using our name. There's a few of you here that I don't even call you by your names because you didn't grow up with those names. And perhaps that might be because in your in your you know your family you might be the third or fourth of the same of the same name. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Name, names actually are important. One of the first duties that you have as a parent is naming your child. And of course, we take different uh, perspectives on this. Some of you just know that you're going to have a child and give it a, a family name, and so it's, it's pretty easy to do that. Others of you, especially if it's your first uh, first time having a kid, you'll get that. You'll spend your money on that like a hundred million thousand name uh, name book, and you'll be combing through that book trying to find the right, the exact right name for your kid. Or if you're like me from the South, you just combine you know the his name and the her name, and you come up with Shrelika. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I'm going to have to edit that out of the tape. <laughs> Here's another important thought. Human beings, we don't, I mean, if you ever thought about this, you don't name yourselves. You don't. Uh, you get your name, you get your full name from, from someone else, uh, primarily your parents. And so parents, uh, think about this. One of the, the privileges that you get uh, one of the one of the the signature things that you get to do in regards to your children that um, that shows the authority that you have gained from God is to be able to name your kids. And unless that kid is just rebellious or just crazy, they're going to take that name with them for the rest of their lives. One of the more remarkable things about God is no one has ever named him. God doesn't need us to tell him what his name is. God reveals to us what his name is. We don't tell him who he is. He tells us. God maintains 
his own exclusive naming rights. And this really is a sign of, of God's sovereign authority. It also means that God's name, because he can decide it and tell us what it is, it's above every other name of anyone that's ever been mentioned. And that really is what this commandment, this third commandment, gets after. The third commandment defends the honor of God's name. I think today, especially in, in, the, in the modern church, we've reduced this command to, uh, to a cussing issue. I mean, haven't we? If, if I don't take the Lord's name in vain, then I'm not violating this command. And of, of course, I'm saying it's, it's good not to cuss. Um, it, it's good not to do that. We're going to talk about that in a couple of seconds, and I'm going to step on a couple of your toes. Uh, James tells us that um, one of the most powerful organs in our body is our tongue. With our tongue, we can build up and tear down. With our tongue, we can bless and curse. And he says that ought not to be so. So what comes out of your mouth is very important. But what this command is offering us to consider is something that's a whole, a whole, bunch, a whole bunch deeper. The command is directed not at our mouth, but at our heart. And here's what God is saying. If if I can get your heart, I'm also going to get your mouth. Why? Because we live from our heart. When you're cussing, you're not cussing from here. You're not cussing because of the external things that happen in your life. You're cussing because of what's going on in here. So what does it mean to take God's name in vain? The Hebrew word vain means empty, to be without substance, to be worthless. And so the prohibition that God is giving us in this command in regards to using the divine name is don't use it in a way that it lacks vitality, reality or substance. He's simply saying, don't misuse my name. I don't know why God chose to give us this command in the third person, but he does. In the first two, he's like, I'm talking. In the third one, he's like, takes a step back and says, hey, this is, you know, y'all know who God is, right? Don't take his name in vain. The other thing that the, the command points out is, is God has a name. If, if God is telling us not to take his name in vain, he's telling us that he has a name. And God reveals that his name primarily is, is Yahweh. God has a lot of names, honestly. Uh, it reveals his character, who he is. But uh, the most prevalent name that God uses throughout Scripture is Yahweh or Lord. In Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew leaders uh, were so fearful of violating this particular command that they chose not to say it and not even write it down in full. They wrote it in an acronym, Y-H, uh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. We call this the, the Tetragrammaton. This comes from Exodus 3. You guys remember the story of Exodus 3? God um, appears to Moses in a bush that's burning. It says the angel of the Lord, but it's, it's, it's God himself. And uh, Moses approaches it. He sees, uh, I mean, how can a bush burn and it not be consumed? And then God catches Moses' eye. Moses comes forward and God starts talking to him out of that bush. And then God says, hey, I'm God. Take off your shoes. This, 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 this ground that you're standing on is holy. And then the Lord begins to convey to Moses that, hey, I know who you are. I know the plight of the, of the, uh, the Hebrew people. And I want to send you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And of course, Moses is the reluctant leader. He's like, you talking to me? And um, of course, God finishes the conversation and he basically convinces Moses that Moses is going to be his spokesperson to go and talk to Pharaoh and eventually be the arm that God uses 
to, uh, to evoke the, uh, the rescue, the, the saving of, of Israel. And Moses asked this question, and it's an important question. He says, well, when, when Pharaoh and even the, the Israelites themselves ask me who's sending me, uh, I mean, what do I tell them? And God says, um, he said, tell them my name. Look at, uh, let's go back. These are important verses. Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent you. So, I mean, what, what's God's name? His name is I am that I am. Or said differently, his name is uh, I, I simply am. I, I simply exist. And so that's who God is. And this really speaks to three things. It speaks to God's self-existence. It speaks to his self-sufficiency. It speaks to his supreme authority. And as the events of the Exodus unfold, Israel would have this grand experience of of understanding who God is, primarily because God unfolds just different revelations of who he is through the names that uh, that he gives himself and that he reveals to um, to the people of Israel. More than that, God reveals that he's more than just a name. He's more than just a label. Really, who he is is his complete identity. Yeah, it speaks of several things. Firstly, God's name speaks to his nature and his person. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Jesus is, is praying in John 17, and he's praying to God the Father, and he's teaching about God's name. He says, I made, them, uh, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. We learn about God's name in the saving work of Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, the gospel writer John says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And we also learn about the name of God through the power that he exerts. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter says, I have no silver and gold. He's, uh, he's run up into a, a man who was lame, laying at the Bethesda gate. I, have, I don't have anything for you, but what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And walk. And so in a sense, this is what the Bible is conveying to us about the name of God. It's impossible to separate who God is from his name. His name embodies all that he is. And so let's, let's dive in uh, and unpack this commandment. What, uh, what do we do? Uh, when do we break this command? All right, I'm going to step on a couple of your toes, but I mean... I come up with these because I'm stepping on my own toes. All right. So we're all in good company. We'll, we'll all leave here limping. Here, here's the point. If, if we reduce this command to just cussing, um, some of you would think that we, you never break this commandment. But the truth is this one in particular, I mean, we're breaking it all the time. Like, like every day, multiple times a day. So we break this command when we use God's name in cussing and cursing. I'm going to just go ahead and like jump on that one first just so I can get it out of there for all of you cussers in the room. All right. So these are two separate things. That's why I label them differently. Cussing and cursing are two different things. Um, in the Bible, cursing was blaspheming God from your heart. It's not just like a word slips out. It's accidental. <gasps> I didn't mean to say it. And in the Bible, when you cursed, you were 
what you what you said was a a purposeful expression of you primarily despising the God of Israel. Jesus handles this in the in the New Testament and in Matthew 12, he comes and he heals a man and then. Uh, the, the people around him sort of celebrate that the man, well, I think he was lame, uh, no longer, uh, actually he, uh, exorcist, he delivered uh, a man of demons. And, uh, and so the people are happy. The religious leader come, the religious leaders come up and, uh, and they scrutinize Jesus. And it's like, I mean, he, he, del- he, uh, delivered this man from a demon because he's, uh, he's doing it in the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus steps in and he's like, all right, check it out. You can say anything you want to say about the Son of Man, but when you attribute like blasphemous words to the Holy Spirit of God, who is the one that did the actual healing of the man, then you step too far and God absolutely will not forgive you of those kinds of things. And so Jesus, like, I mean, he just jumped in on that. That's cursing. Uh, I think it's fair to say in modern day cussing, most of us aren't intending to, to blaspheme God. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, we we cuss mostly because it's just the vernacular of our day. I shouldn't say just. I mean, we're still being lax about it. But one of the ways, um, one of the reasons why we cuss is just, it's, we're lazy. We're lazy with our words. Sometimes we want to spice up our words a little bit by throwing in a GD or SH, you know, that, that word. I mean, we just want to spice things up and we we just use those words. Sometimes we're trying to express our express. Our, our own shock or surprise or maybe even our anger. But again, these things are coming out of our heart. They're not just in our head. And the situation is definitely not making us do what we do when those words come out of our mouth. I think this is the thing we need to see as Christians. And this is this is a me. Say, this is me saying this, not a scholar. Uh, I think cussing is, is is really it has the same root as cursing. And this is why. Profanity is not just vulgar words, but what it ultimately says is that God is worthless. That, it goes back to that, that word vain. What we're saying is that God is empty. He's an empty topic. He doesn't matter. That, that God really doesn't exist, so it doesn't make any, it, it, any difference if I use his name uh, wrongly or rightly. God is dead. That's what we're saying, ultimately, even if we don't know we're saying it in our minds. And so as Christians... Those tasked with representing God. That's what you are as a Christian. You are a little Christ. Paul says that you're ambassadors of God put on the earth to uh, to bring the reconciliation of of people far away from God back to him. Uh, You're representing God. And if you're representing God, when you cuss, you misrepresent and you misuse the very God that you serve. So when we break this commandment, we use God's name uh, in, in vain by cussing and cursing. We also do it when we use God's name lightly. This has several applications, but this is like uh, like a step down from cussing and cursing. That's what I call it. Um, you ever said hell? Jeez. O-M-G. Oh, my gosh. Gosh. Jesus. I mean, y'all ever say those kind of words? I mean, and of course, we're saying those kind of things. Um as as expressions, we're, we're like flavoring up our talk when we do that. You ever stub your toe on a table and just blurt out whatever you blurt out when you do, when you do that? And here's the thing. I think I think in our minds, we aren't trying to damn a table or we aren't trying. <laughs> That's what was in my mind. 
I don't know what was in your mind. Y'all got your potty mouth. All right. I'm going to get on the high ground. See, I don't think we're trying to, uh, we're not trying to damn a person or a table when we say those words, but we are, um, we are being probably a little bit more loose than the scripture would have us be as representatives of God. And, and here's the thing. When we choose to use God's name lightly, even in this way, even in reaction to something horrific or painful that's happened to us, uh, that's treating um, God who is holy and sacred as common and secular. That's, that's really the, the gist of God and his name. There is no other name. We're just saying that. And to dishonor God's name in any way is to denigrate his holiness. It's a way of saying that God himself is worthless. We break this commandment when we take an oath and don't fulfill it. Here's what an oath is. Now, this is not a common thing that we do, but it's, it's prevalent in our society, particularly in this audience. An oath is swearing with an appeal to the name of God who serves as witness that a person is speaking the truth or intends to fulfill a vow. And so in, in, in our day, we still take oaths. OK, if you go to court, you're going to put your hand on a Bible and raise your hand, um, swearing that you're going to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. When we make an oath, we're calling God against us if we fail to do what we pledge. And this is actually serious stuff in the Bible, but it's also serious stuff in, in today. I mean, the president of the United States um, stands up, you know, in front of the Capitol and he, he takes an oath. The, all the members of Congress take an oath of office. Every judge takes an oath of office. All of you that are in the, in the military, you take an oath of office, swearing to support and defend the Constitution of our United States. When you go to court, you're going to take an oath saying that you're going to tell the truth. If you are an immigrant and you become a citizen of the United States, you take an oath saying that you're going to abide by the laws of our country. It's not just oath taking, though, this is talking about. Um, this could be as major as breaking the vows of, of your marriage. It's like saying, I'm going to like love you to death to his part and then violating that. But it also could be as simple as not just following through on your word. And that's that's I mean, this is more. This is just very serious. I think one of the problems is we use language too carefully. We say, I swear to God as if it means nothing. And then we just walk away after saying, I swear to God. And you just violate it. I mean, God has a name that. That's above every name. God has a name that does not lie and whose word can never be broken. And we are we're crediting ourselves with God's name and then going against what we said we would do. Um, Jesus rebukes his followers um, in the, the Beatitudes by saying, here's the deal, folks. He says, let what you say simply be yes or no. This is Matthew 5, 37. Anything more than this comes from evil. I mean, those, those are the, the, the words of Jesus straight from his lips. And here's why. It's because uh, those of us who have taken on God's name, that's what you do when you profess to be a follower of Jesus. If you lie or break your word, you're misrepresenting God. And so an oath is essential to the covenant that you make as a Christian with God. Here's another one. When we speak on behalf of God, um, we... we uh, when we speak on behalf of God, when he hasn't spoken, this is this is uh, 
nothing other than false prophecy. And we do this um, probably all the time um, without even knowing we're doing it and not, not even uh, intending to. Y'all ever uh, name drop? If you, got a, if you got a sibling, then here's a phrase that you probably used to say all the time. You might even be saying it now. Mom said, Mom said I could watch TV. Dad said I could have last piece of dessert. Uh, uh, Dad said I could play video games. Uh, Dad said I could stay out uh, till 9 o'clock. And we do that all the time. We drop God's name. And when, we, when we're dropping God's name, what we're saying is, firstly, we're trying to credit ourselves or favor ourselves with the authority that lies in the person whose name we're dropping. But we're also um, basically saying that the person whose name I'm dropping agrees with me. They have said that I could... I have the authority to do all that I could, I'm doing and say that all I'm saying. So uh, here's some other things. I mean, have you tried to back out of something and you use the excuse that God told you not to do it? Fellas, possibly ladies, have you ever broken up with someone and told them, God impressed me that we weren't supposed to be together anymore? I mean, that, that would hurt. I, honestly, I've done that one. <laughs> Have you ever told a boss you were quitting because God was telling you to move on? And here's what I'm, I'm saying. I, I'm not saying God doesn't speak to us, but I'm saying we throw around a lot very carelessly and casually uh, that God is leading us to do some things. And here's the question for you to, to really wrestle with. Did God actually say those things? And if God did not actually say those things and you're just throwing that out to get out of a situation, unfortunately, you're being a false prophet. Check it out in the New Testament. God, like he jacked some false prophets up. He killed them. Here's, a, here's a, uh, an associate with that. This is not on, in the list of, uh, of ways that we break this command. We, uh, we, when we associate God's name with things that ought not to be associated with, uh, I think of uh, an example from church history, the Crusades from the, the 13th through the 15th century, where in the name of um, defeating the Muslims who were expanding their, their territories and the Byzantine Empire and all that stuff, um, the Christians went out and I mean, they went to war and they did it in the name of God. And I, I think history proves I mean, I don't know if God was actually behind that. I mean, he, he actually probably wasn't. I think one of the ways that we do this today is we attach God's name to political parties, to ideologies, and to our lifestyle. God, uh, God, is, God is absolutely a Republican because of <laughs> Right? I mean, we attribute our cause, our leanings, and our desires to God and say that God definitely is the way that we are because we are that way. And I think that's to use God's name in vain. We break this command when we make a bunch of rules in God's name. And I think Christians are really good at this. And this is one of the things that Jesus rebuked the, the Pharisees for harshly. They were a group of people that kept the law better than most. Um, they went above the tithe. They went they they exceeded the laws uh, more than the common uh, commonplace person. And yet we know from the New Testament that the Pharisees totally missed the, the person uh, of God in the form of Jesus Christ. Rather than trusting in the gospel for our righteousness, when we do this, we live and preach to the world a, a, a checklist of things that you can do or don't do to gain God's favor. But I think in and of itself, that misrepresents God. We break this command when we slap God's name on merchandise. If I were God, this is what I would like 
promote on TV and commercials every other minute. Thou shalt not, thou shalt be very careful before putting my name on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker. Have y'all seen this bumper sticker? God is my co-pilot. Y'all seen that one? I mean, don't put that bumper sticker on your car if you're going to speed, drive recklessly or carelessly and, and misrepresent God. Because the question that I have whenever I see that bumper sticker is, are you really following Jesus that closely? Because your driving would say otherwise. Have you ever seen the T-shirt? Jesus is my homeboy. I, Google that. It's, it's, it's this funny look. It's like, it's like a Carlton Banks kind of a, kind of a uh, Jesus figure. Uh, what are we saying when we put that on on a T-shirt and actually wear it around? I think, you know, some people are doing it because they're trying to be funny. Some of them are just trying to show in a in a fun, probably non-threatening way. Perhaps that they they're even following Jesus. How about this one? Air Jesus, the ultimate high. Look, I mean, Google it. Just Google air Jesus. See what look at the images. It's just hilarious. The things that we come up with. Uh, I'm being light here, but um here, here's the here's the point. Sometimes we advertise and we use God's name, and I think that it violates it violates this command. We're misrepresenting who God is. We break this command when we openly live in sin, even after taking on God's name. Uh, when you become a Christian, you literally become a little Christ. Paul calls us ambassadors, and the and we are uh, folks that God uses to reconcile the world to himself. And so calling yourself a Christian, but living our lives deliberately opposed to what God reveals in his word is to violate not only biblical commands, but it misrepresents the character of your God. This is the last one. We don't uh, we violate this command when we don't worship in a way that honors God. This is the most subtle, but this is the one that we do all the time. We do it when we come in here every week, and I'm, I, I'm a violator as well. This is, uh, this is what we do when we do this. We're, we're just careless with our worship. We take the name of God, and we worship in sloppy, apathetic ways. And I don't want to be legalistic here, but, I mean, when your mind is not in it, when you're more focused on uh, texting or Facebook, drinking your coffee, uh, instead of engaging with God in the in the time that he has for the church to come together and, and gather as his people so that we would be a witness to the world, um, then we're taking God's name in vain. Here's why this command and understanding it is important. Um, the latter half of this command says that God will hold those accountable who break it. Look at the latter half of verse seven. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, God doesn't specify what the punishment is. And so we're left to, to wonder what that is. But this should invoke a little bit of fear in us and make us not want to want to violate it. It's, it's one of the only commands that God tells us. All right, you do this. It's like wagging his fingers like something's going to happen. And God doesn't tell us exactly what's going to happen. But there I mean, there's precedence in the Bible that if we do this, there is there there will be ramifications. One uh, one instance, there's a story in Leviticus 24 that two 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 fellows got into a little of a little bit of a tuffle. One was the the son of an Egyptian, and one was an Israelite man. They get into a little fight. Uh, the Israelite actually 
Um, he must have been losing the fight because he he blasphemes the name the scriptures tell us. And then he curses God. And all those who hear it went, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have said that. He yeah, I just I just violated the command. Right. I mean, they they couldn't believe he did that. Guess what they did? They they confined him. They brought him to Moses and Moses issued a verdict. He said, take him outside of the camp. And everyone who heard this man's blasphemy took rocks and they stoned the dude to death. Can that happen today? I don't know. Justin and I were talking earlier. I mean, what happens when God like actually holds true to his word and exacts like a, a punishment in, in our day? How, what does that look like? I don't know. Here's the reason God will condemn us. Um, for, for violating, this, violating this command. It's because misusing his name is a very great sin, as great as we see it in Leviticus 24. And this innocent young man just expressing himself in regards to perhaps uh, being in a fight and, and losing it. God sees this as a direct attack on his honor and his glory. And anyone who makes such an attack deserves to be condemned. Those are the words of the Bible. Here's a second reason why this is important. Um, and, and this is what we've been. This is the, the pattern that we've been setting. If you think about the first commandment, the first commandment is, is focused on idolatry. It's when we take perhaps a good thing and we make it a, a the best thing. We, we elevate it above the level of God. The second commandment is oriented on heresy. It's when we take who God is and we reduce him to something less than that. We create an image of him. When God is incomprehensible, we don't know what God looks like. And so he says, don't confine me to your box. But here's what the third commandment is all about. The third commandment is about hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is when you profess, at least in regards to this this commandment, it's when you profess the name of God, but do not. Uh, but you're not growing commensurately in the character of God. Church experts tell us that the the biggest problem with church growth and one of the problems why people don't go to church is because they think it's full of hypocrites. I mean, I mean, honestly, we just got to shrug our shoulders and it's like, I mean, they're right. I mean, have you have you like peered into your own life? Here's what we're good at as Christians. We're good at not doing the very things that we profess. We violate these commands all the time. I think on every level, if you really look into your life, we are all hypocrites. Here's some quotables. G.K. Chesterton is an English theologian. He says the only strong argument against Christianity are Christians themselves. What is he saying? He's saying you guys are your own worst enemies. Elton Trueblood is a 20th century American Quaker author and theologian. He says the worst blasphemy is not profanity, but lip service. What he's saying is when we say something to God with our lips, but our hearts uh, our hearts don't follow. Our hearts don't uh, support, don't back up what our lips have said. We're hypocrites. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi says, I would be a Christian if it weren't for the Christians. It's like, dang, ouch. We're all hypocrites and it's a problem. But it's not just a problem. Honestly, it's a problem for it's a problem for the world around us. It's a problem for all of our friends. And here's why. It's because whether you believe it or not, whether you would acknowledge it or not, whether you even know it or not, they're all watching. They're watching you. They're watching me and they're watching us. 
at the at the moments where we don't think they're watching. And if we're hypocritical, then we uh, we're professing the name of God again. And we perhaps are not growing in the character that's commensurate to who God is. So here's the question for us as I sort of wind this down. How, how do we get to the other side? How is how can I get to the point where I'm not violating this command, but I am living uh, with a character that's like the character God would have me to have if I were to fulfill this this command um, and do it perfectly. I think the obvious application is I mean, we just need to stop. We need to stop misusing God's name. And in, in a sense, we can do that uh, the same way that you've somehow taught yourselves to do that whole list of things. You know, part of it's our culture, and we've learned to do that in the culture. But that, I mean, Christians, we're a, a world inside of a world. We're a culture inside of the culture. Uh, in fact, we're we're to be set set aside a little bit, peeking into the culture to infect it with salt and light, but then coming back out because God has made us. He's made us separate. At the same time, I mean, we have to admit we need some help. There's some things about just stopping this command that we just can't do without some help. So here's a positive application or a positive way of saying it. We need to take God's name seriously, and we can do that. So instead of just stopping, we do need to do something positive, and that's to take God's name seriously. God makes provision for both of these in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has the name above all names. God sends Jesus to live amongst us. God sends Jesus to to live like us. And Jesus is the only man who's ever lived on the earth who actually has never taken God's name in vain. And Jesus goes to the cross and Jesus takes on your name. What's your name? Guilty, condemned, breaker of the third commandment and all the other commandments. And we do it all the time. And he exchanges our name for his name. He gives us his name. What's his name? Guiltless, perfect, lover of God. One who says those things that come out of his mouth, but they represent the character of God in his heart. That's what Jesus says to us in regards to this command. One of my favorite passages in scripture is what Paul wrote about Jesus in Philippians chapter two, verse five through nine. And we'll uh, conclude with with these words. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we stop misusing God's name? I think we have. I think we have to firstly, well, with everything, the way that we grow is, is through repentance and faith. God has given us the means, the provision through Jesus to confess our sin 
And the Bible says that he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. He's going to like wash out your potty mouth, not with soap. Like, I mean, anybody's parents actually do that? Oh, you deserved it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Glenn. Right, right. He comes and he purifies us and and he cleanses us so that we are no longer like ourselves, but we're more like him. God is forever pressing us to be uh, conformed to his image. And so we have the, the provision through Jesus to, to really ask for forgiveness. But we look to Jesus because he's the, he's the savior that comes and he rescues us. So, so in all the ways, in that, in that long list of things that, I mean, you've tried, but you just can't stop doing this one thing, then you, you look to Jesus and you say, Lord, I, I need help. Help me. Send the Holy Spirit to help me and remind me when I'm close to saying this, when I'm close to doing this, that would violate you and your name, that that God would come. The Holy Spirit would make you aware of your actions and he would provide you a way of escape. That's really how change happens. But this is what we also do. We take God's name seriously. We look to Jesus and we do this in in these ways. We realize that as Christians, we bear the very name of Jesus Christ. It was by calling on the name of Jesus that you were saved. As Christians, we receive Jesus' name upon uh, becoming uh, in fellowship with the church. When you're baptized, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we carry the name of Jesus as Christians, God has a personal stake in our ongoing spiritual progress. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6. It says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Lastly, the very name of Jesus is associated with everything we do. Our reputation, our reflection, uh, it, it basically is, is his reputation shining through all that we do. We should make it our aim to honor his name. I'll finish with this. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we honor your name. In the Old Testament, you called yourself uh, Elohim. You called yourself Yahweh, the creator, creator God and the God that is personal, the covenant God towards us. You called yourself Adonai, which means you're our master and our Lord. In the New Testament, you tell us that your name is Again, Lord, Curios, you're our boss, you're our king, but more than that, you're the God that we submit to. You tell us that you are a father, that like a kid, we can crawl up into your arms and, and find rescue. Even when we're in trouble, that we can come to God and, and get a hug, knowing that you'll reciprocate, you'll hug us back. In fact, you hug us first, and then you tell us, that your name is Savior. Lord, we lean on all those names this morning as we confess to you that we are violators of your command, that in every way, every day, we have taken your name in vain, and your word to us is, don't misuse my name. So Lord, we repent as individuals, repent as as a congregation of people. We pray for your help. We pray for your help that in in some of these things, we can just stop, stop misusing your name, stop misrepresenting you, stop being the hypocrites that we are to the world and that we would represent you better to a world peering into who Jesus is.
And as we do that, Lord God, we pray that you would help us in ways that we can't help ourselves. Save us. Save us from our mouths. Save us from the ways that our hearts aren't connected to our heads. Save us from uh, the condemnation that comes when we violate this. And save us uh, in Jesus' name, the name of all names. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.